0: Good morning once again. Good morning. Thank you. And again, good morning to all of you here and to those of you watching uh, uh, online. It's really encouraging to have as many of you doing that. and uh, just, But also, we do this as a church, not just a live stream to get it out there uh, into the world, but uh, also because uh, it's part of our ministry as a church um, for people who aren't able to make it out on a Sunday morning, you know, because there, there are things to do sometimes in a beautiful place like Squamish on a Sunday morning, right? not when it's pouring rain. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Right? And and so that people can listen to the podcast or watch the video so that we can all participate in our missional community groups together, which I'm going to talk about this morning. If you have a Bible with you and at the Rock, it's really, uh, it's not mandatory, but it's really recommended, Uh, whether it's a printed version or something on your phone, open to the Gospel of John. We're going to be there this morning. We are beginning, as you will see on our screen, if we could have it back up again uh, there, Lydia. Yes, uh, our Advent series. Uh, it, this year, we've themed it. I'll get into that a little bit in a minute. The Heart of Christmas. It's a tradition here at the Rock Church. But before we do that, I wanted to do a little bit of an update or follow-up from... Where is it there? Um, our series in First Timothy, which we finished last week. For those of you who have not been here before, um, we uh, go through books of the Bible. That's our pattern here at the church. And we, we spent the last 12 weeks in First Timothy, and it's, it was, well, I, you know, not because of me or anyone else who was preaching. It was, it was wonderful to hear the kind of impact it was having. It was very challenging stuff in First Timothy, amen? Yes, okay. And, uh, but it's wonderful to go into it and, and hear the word on a Sunday morning, but then um, preached and proclaimed, and the reading of it, just that, but also then to go and talk about it with brothers and sisters in Christ and friends and go, oh, hold on. And so one of the things we did is we produced a study guide, here it is, Um, so that you could take notes during the message on a Sunday morning, and then you could go to your commissional community group, and then we had a series of questions at the top that didn't change every week, the first three questions, and we're going to put them on screen because I want to explain them to you this morning. Um, These three questions, they're called observation questions, and then after that we produced a few questions in advance that you know might be questions you might want to ask based on the text that we went through. And uh, or questions you had. So these three questions never changed week to week. And actually, in our mission community group that is hosted in our home, uh, we almost every week never got past these because <laughs> people were... And here's why I want to tell you in a minute why um, I'm encouraging this uh, for you. But the first question is, we asked the question, what stood out for you from Sunday's message? And so, like I like to say, because oftentimes I am the preacher, it's not about whether you liked it, Okay. That's helpful, but it, it's, it's not about, well, this stood out, well, like, you know, oh, it was funny, or, or it was, what no, it's, in other words, it's about actually paying attention and, and, uh, and, and looking for something that is like, kind of like a light bulb, something you hadn't heard before, something that was like, uh-huh, okay, and it stands out to you, and, and we're asking you to, to record that, to think about that. Because that's important because then it's funny you get to Michel Community Group and one person will say, Well, this stood out for me, and then someone else will go, Me too. That's that's kind of cool when that happens, right? And so that's a question that we would go through and we'd spend some time at. And then there's this is important. Was there anything you did not understand? Excuse me, th- this is called the Bible. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that when we read it, we're like, Really? That's what it says, right? I mean, c- culturally, really? That's what it says? Of course there are questions like that. And questions are good. What questions were raised for you? And so we really encourage that. When you have questions about what the Bible says, whether it's true, whether it lines up with your thinking in our world today, talk about it. Through the word, but also with your friends and community, is really helpful to your growth. And lastly, this is really key. How did the Holy Spirit speak to you personally? It's a very personal question, right? And the reason for that is because that's the point. The very first sermon that was ever preached in the Bible by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, um, three to 5,000 people came to faith in Jesus that day, and the church began. It was probably the best sermon of all time. Amen? <laughs> I've never had that happen. Um, but it says in the scripture that the gospel that he preached cut people to the heart. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit cuts us to the heart and says, hey, hang on. This is me speaking to you. Not Glenn, not the preacher. So I want to encourage you with that this morning because I want to encourage you that we do that in this series. We don't have booklets for this three week series at Advent, but I want to encourage you that you do that even as visitors here this morning. Another great takeaway from 1 Timothy for me, anyway, and I hope you noticed was Paul's exhortation to Timothy at one point where it was like you could hear the question Timothy was probably asking Paul. And the question was probably along the lines of Paul, what do you want me to do with all these false teachers? Because Paul brings it up constantly in that letter. And it's like, do you want me to go after them? Do you want me to, like, refute everything they say? And Paul's response to Timothy was, no. No, I want you to preach the word. I, I want you just to preach the word. Teach people what the word of God actually says. They will be able to detect a counterfeit like that. And the other thing that he said is, by the way, just read the scripture publicly. That's how we're going to start this morning. 18 verses, so read with me. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. I know for a lot of us, these will be familiar words. Maybe for some of us, not so familiar. So read with me. This is John, the apostle, writing, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made." The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. It's a good sermon, isn't it? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord. I thank you that we get to come here on the first day of the week, put aside the other things that are wonderful in our lives, other distractions, and come here um, to have fellowship with one another to love one another in a family, in a community that is born out of love because it's born out of you. And so, Lord, we thank you for this day. I pray, Lord, that you would, uh, yeah, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do the work that only you can do through the words that you've given to me, but more importantly, through your own words, that they would come alive to us today. To every one of us in this room, every one of us watching, listening, I just pray for your blessings over this time together, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, a question I like to ask every every Advent, and it's probably a question some of you might be asking this morning: is Why an Advent series? Why do we Why do we stop? We go through books of the Bible, and and obviously we still take a text, and we're going to look at a text this morning. But why Why do we do this? And well, why do we? Could, the question could be further: Why do we take time out of every year uh, to once again look at the coming, which is what the word Advent literally means: the coming the advent of Jesus Christ at the first Christmas. I mean, we all know the story, don't we? It's, it's a story that's been told over and over and over again. Well, maybe because it's been done at Advent every year, and it's important. So why do we do that? Well, we began this tradition uh, as we will have communion today. It's a tradition we started. We do it every week here at the Rock Church, so it's not to say that that's better or the right way or whatever, but we do. That's just one of our traditions that we started. It's like the candle. Uh, Lighting and the readings, but we started it um, two years in, so this is like 12 years now since we planted the church, started the church that we've been doing an Advent series, and I I have to admit, I've said this before in years past that as a preacher through books of the Bible, I'd get to Advent and I'd be like, I'd get a little stressed, right? Because like really, you've got you've got Isaiah. I mean, there's lots of scripture, obviously, but you've got text in Isaiah, you've got the Gospel of Matthew, you've got Luke. You got this interesting passage here in John. And then it's like, where else are you going to go? And so coming up with something creative every year, like a theme, you know, like a new way of looking at it or whatever. And it's kind of facetious what I'm saying is because it's the word of God. I mean... There's always something there. But it used to stress me a little bit, like trying to come up with it, right? And that's one of the reasons why I actually, again, so appreciated the words of Paul to Timothy. He was trying to encourage this young pastor, a lot younger than me, by the way. But anyway, he's trying to encourage this young guy to say, basically, Timothy, you don't have to be creative. You don't have to be creative. The Holy Spirit said, that's my job. Just read the scripture and teach it. And so that's really an important thing. We, we've come to that. I've come to that Realization. And then we also realized over the years that the main reason why we wanted to continue to do the Advent series was because this is the story. This is the story of Christmas. And, and what we wanted to do, and we're doing today and this year again, is we're just countering the narratives of our world, right? Because in December every year, there are many other narratives going on other than this one, aren't there? So we want to we tell this story, because it's the best story ever. It's the truest story. I mean, how many na- narratives are there out there right now in December in the world? Does anybody know the Hallmark narrative? Does anybody buy cards anymore? Like, I just wanna, I always go looking for one for my wife, and she's always surprised that I can find a Christmas card for her that's Christian, right? At London Drugs. Sorry, I shouldn't have dropped their name. Uh, <clears throat> but it's true. What about Disney? Hey, hey, guys, there are a lot of narratives out there, and I'm not... I'm not condemning anything at all. I'm just saying, that's one of the reasons why we're doing this. This story needs to be retold. It needs to be told to our children upstairs, which is happening right now. And so we want to do it for that reason, because why? It is the best story ever told. Amen? Somebody nod, okay? It's good to have you with me. So as we began to pray this year about a theme, you know, as a theme as to how we could look at this, um... I was reminded of something that I said um, in a message earlier in the year that I think took a, a, a lot of people by surprise. I was I was surprised to say it, and then people were like, "Huh? What, what did he What did he just say?" And it was about the Godhead, about the Trinity, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and I and I said this this fact: God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have been from eternity past. God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And some people were like, oh. I mean, because the Trinity is so easy to understand, isn't it? Right? It is, right? Have you ever tried to explain that to someone who doesn't know the Bible or do, is not a Christian? It's like, it's like a three-leaf clover. It's a horrible illustration. But anyway, people try that, right? It's just it's one of those things. And so, you see, uh, the problem is many people have mistakenly believed And I can understand if it's people who don't know the Bible or are not Christian. That's fine. That's okay. I can understand that. But even Christians are like, hold on. I I thought the father became the father when he had a son that was born, and Jesus became the son when he became little baby Jesus. No. No. No, It actually, it's from eternity past. And so we're going to look at that a little bit further today in a minute. And so that's how we arrived at our theme for this year, Advent, the Heart of Christmas. And we're going to look at it in three ways. This week, I'm hopefully going to show you the heart of God the Father at Christmas, because it's always about Jesus in the manger, and it is, it is. And then next week, we'll look at the heart of Jesus Christ at the first Christmas. And then on the last Sunday, Rudy will bring us a message on the heart of the Holy Spirit at Christmas. And you know Rudy's going to bring the fire on that one, right? (laughs) You just know that, right? Rudy loves the Holy Spirit. We all do. All right, let's, uh, let's get started. Verse 1 and 2 from our text today says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so, yeah, very familiar words to a lot of us. And I want to unpack it for you this morning uh, uh, rather deeply because I think it's really important as it leads us to understanding the heart of God, the Father. At Christmas, So, as I've mentioned before, the primary text that you'll hear during Advent is usually from Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, or the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. John's Gospel that we're looking at this, the, here this morning is often overlooked because, well, John doesn't, doesn't talk about Bethlehem. You know, he doesn't talk about Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know, the mom and dad who had John the Baptist. He doesn't talk about, you know, Jesus and Mary and, and the wise men and the shepherds and the singing in the sky. He doesn't talk about any of that stuff. Nothing. What we've just read, those 18 verses, is is it. So there's there's glimpses there, as we're going to see. And so uh, that I wanted to show you this morning because I I believe it will lead us to seeing the heart of God the Father well this morning, or as well as I can bring it anyway. And so uh, what we see here is John's purpose for writing his gospel is slightly different than the other gospel writers. And what he does here in these first two verses, the opening of his Gospels, he goes back to before in the beginning. Remember that? He he goes back. Scholars call this part of his Gospel the prologos, or the prologue. And and actually what he's doing is he's going back before the creation or foundation of the very cosmos in these opening words. He's going back before that. So way before the birth of Jesus. It's before the birth of creation, the birth of actually the world. So he tells us that at some point in the past, before the foundation of the world, there was the word. Now he's writing in Greek, um, probably spoke well in Greek as well, we believe. And, and to the Greek philosopher, to the Greek ears in that day, they would have heard the word logos. And, and that would have gotten their attention. You know, it really would, it would be like enlightenment today for some people, right? Okay, I'm listening, right? Logos in that day was, was what philosophers would talk about a lot. And why? Because it was about philosophy. It was about logic. And the Greek word logos is where we actually get our word logic. And so they would have really paid attention to this. And so it was central to them and their philosophy. But John has a different meaning in mind, as we will see, uh, altogether. So in time past then, there was this word. The word was, we see in the text, I hope it's still on the screen. Yes, good. With God. The word was with God. And then we learn that this logos was in the beginning, was God as well. And wait, this word, yes, again, was also God. Makes perfect sense, right? (laughs) Like when you read that, you're like, well, I'm a Christian. I I went to Sunday school, got the flannel graph, and that's the Trinity. I know that. The original hearers would be like, huh, What what are you saying? Well, John's obviously not finished, but that's the way he starts it off. And so I think you, even you and I might find that a little challenging today. And as I, you know, humorously suggested before, you know, h- how often have you come up with a really good explanation for the Trinity? And the reac- reality is actually we take it by faith. As we read the scripture, we see God reveal himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see him doing that repeatedly. And so we take it by faith. Do I, we fully understand it? One God, eternally present in three persons. That's how he reveals himself. So then it's interesting here. In the text again, John then adds, look at this, a pronoun. Oh yes, we're talking about pronouns. Not the way you might think, thankfully. Right? But he does. And it is in the text. It is a masculine pronoun. So it says, He was in the beginning with God. So we conclude two things from this. First, the Logos, or Word, is a person, is a personable being, right? And He is also masculine in nature in some way. Okay? He, it's, he's a He. That's the way God reveals Himself to us. And so, as I mentioned earlier, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have been eternally present and in the past, as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So in John 1, we see God, and the word is Theos. The Father is before the foundation of the world, and another person who is presented in the masculine is with him, and he is also God. Again, we got it, right? So right here, one of the great mysteries about truths of the Christian faith is that our God is one, and I've already said, eternally in past, present, and future represented as three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So there are numerous places in the New Testament scripture in particular uh, that confirm this truth for us. We don't have time this morning to go to look at all of them, but it's important that we see that this is confirmed in the scripture. And I love one particular reference probably more than all the others because it's Jesus himself speaking. It's Jesus at about 30 years of age in his public ministry. And he says these words in John, um, well, actually, it's in John 17, before they're on screen. He actually, if you read that passage, it's, it's, it's Jesus praying, praying to his father. And it's just before he's going to get crucified. Uh, and he's asking his heavenly father to be with you and I and that we would be one. He's praying about the oneness of the church, the oneness of the body of Christ. And he uses phrases in there where he says things like, I and you, you and me. And it's very clear as you're reading John 17 that the Father and Jesus are one, but, but he's also praying to his Father, and, and he's Jesus. <laughs> he's the Son of God, and so that's happening. But then he says this in verse 5. And now, Father, look at these words. Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is Jesus himself declaring publicly with his own voice that he had a glory with the Father before the foundation of the world. And what he's asking the Father to do is, okay, I, I know I'm going to be crucified. I know that I'm going to die. I also know that the plan is I'm going to be resurrected on the third day and come back to you and return to my glory with you. Beautiful verse, and it's a confirmation for us. So, Jesus himself here is referring to, as he's been doing throughout his earthly ministry, that his Father is God. And then in this very verse tells us that he, Jesus, was with the Father before the world existed. Now, some of you might be thinking, Pastor, okay, you're spending a lot of time on this. Why is this important? Why is it so important? Um, for us to know, to believe that the triune God, here we go again, was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit before the foundation of the world. Why? Because there's four things that we try to accomplish when we go to God's word, whether it's here on a Sunday morning or when it's in our personal devotions or whether it's in community group. We want to learn four things. Who God is. We want to learn who God really is. And we want to know him for who he really is. And then we want to see through the scripture, which is the story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. We want to see what he's done from creation through the fall to come and redeem us and restore us. We want to see what he's done, and that's what we see in the scripture. That's why we study it. But then out of all that, we then want to see who we really are. And the scripture really re- reveals that to us if we're allowing our hearts to be open for the Holy Spirit to speak that to us, to speak his truth to you and I about who we really are in light of who God is and what he's done. And then finally out of that, good news. Well, it's all good news. How then should we live? How then should we live in relationship to our heavenly father, his son, and the Holy Spirit for the rest of our lives? And so that's why we, in fact, do are doing this. It's why we study the word of God. Another reason would be that so that we can see our triune God exists in this. Look at this. A loving community and family. I said this before. One of the things that differentiates the God that we believe in from any other God in the, in the world out there, almost every other God that's out there, like gods that you know, people have books about, are what are called unipersonal gods. It's just them. I won't mention any names, but you can imagine who they are. Our God is the only God that is a God of love that is born out of a loving community and family before he created us. That's one of the beautiful pictures that we see from and That's why it's important for us to know that and to believe that is that before the foundation of the world, you've got the Father, you've got the Son, you've got the Holy Spirit. They don't need us. They don't need to do this, but they did. And it's born out of a loving family picture and community that changes. There's an old saying that preachers have and the scholars have, and that is if you get Genesis 1, 2, and 3, if you really get what it's saying, you'll get the rest of the Bible. If you don't get what it's saying or you deny what it's saying, the rest of the Bible won't make any sense. That's a true statement. This is true too. This is important. Once we get that and we trust it, and then we start to look at our God as a father, a loving, Heavenly Father, I know, I'm a father, I'm not perfect. My kids are not, where's my, my, one of my sons is here, he could attest to that. No earthly father is. Some of us try to do our best. Our Heavenly Father is perfect in every possible way. And so we need to know that it's important to see that. It's marvelous, actually. Verse 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is talking about this word. Now, we all know who he is because in verse 14, it declares who he is, or John does anyway, and we know who he is. But this is John's key link with Genesis 1. That's what he's doing here. He's linking it to Genesis 1, and again, we all know that. It'll be on screen for you. Genesis 1 says this, in the beginning, God. It's one of the things I like to say whenever we study Genesis 1. That's the most important thing for you to see in 1 in Genesis 1. It's not about how many days or years to creation took. It's about, in the beginning, God. The Hebrew word is Elohim. It's a plural word. Created. The Latin for that would, would be ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. That's our God. This <laughs> is not random chance. This is our God who created all things. He created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The image there is, there's no order. There's just chaos, basically. There's no order or beauty or anything added to it yet. But then it goes on. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. I always also like to say that's where evolutionary biologists, scientists, and the Bible totally line up. (laughs) or what they would call the Big Bang. So right here in these first three verses, we actually see the Godhead revealed. We see God, the Father, initiating all of creation. We see the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the deep as His spirit. And then look, we see the Word of God. The first words of God in the Bible say, let there be light. This is the Logos. And there was light. And so what we see here is God the Father initiating. We see the Holy Spirit brooding, brooding over the creation. And we see literally the word of God speaking. Let there be light. Let there be animals. Let there be bushes. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, let us create man in our own image. So this is our God at work. And he's creating all things. It's magnificent, again, I'm going to say. Verses 4 and 5 say this. These are remarkable words. In him was life. In who? In the Logos, in Jesus Christ. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not come. This word, John is saying, is bringing life, where? Into dead places. He's bringing eternal life, like true life. And again, for those... Maybe this is not something you understand from the Bible, but the clear teaching of the Bible is when you and I are born, we're born physically, but we're born spiritually dead, separated from God. Adam and Eve, the fall, sin, we're born in that. So Jesus came to give us new life, spiritual life in him so that we can be returned to the Father, but also resurrected life. Because, by the way, we all are going to die, right? So this is the life that he's bringing to this world. And this life was the light of men. This is what lights our path. This is what really lights up our lives, which is one of the reasons why, you know, Christians are okay with Christmas trees and lights, right? It's a symbol. It's a good symbol. So this light also is going to shine so bright that no darkness, no evil, no brokenness will be able to stand in its presence, It will be impacted greatly by this wonderful light. So this is all good news. So now we discover something, finally, about the heart of our Heavenly Father at Christmas. Look at these words in verses 6 to 8. There was a man sent from God, the Father, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about this light. So we've already initiated, uh, pardon me, said uh, one thing about our Heavenly Father that we can see. He's an initiator. He, he, he initiates everything. <laughs> he, he starts things. He, he, he's in the Godhead. I don't know for sure because we don't see it in the scripture, but before the foundation of the world, it was probably he who said to the, the Son and the Holy Spirit, listen, why don't we do this? Why don't we create this beautiful, amazing in, in, in like un, unbelievable cosmos? And, and then wh- why don't we create animals and, and, and just dress this place up beautifully? And then why don't we create men and women in our image, to be our image bearers, whom we can be in family and community, community with as well? Why don't we do that? So we've already mentioned that he's an initiator. In 1 Timothy, we learned that he is also the giver of all life. Anything that has breath, our Heavenly Father has given life to that. But what we're also seeing here is he sends. (laughs) This is a form of initiation, but he he sends. He's been sending all through the Old Testament, right? He he sent the prophets to proclaim the truth, to, to call the people of Israel to be his people. He sent the prophets all the way through the Old Testament. He's been sending for a long time. And at the first Christmas, he sends John the Baptist, who is known to be the forerunner, the one, the last prophet who's going to say, that's him, that's him, my cousin, by the way. And when he saw Jesus, that's what he did. He said, the Lamb of God, that's him right there. And so God the Father is a sender. He sent him. Now, from verse 9 to 11, John tells us how this world, this light would come to his own people, he would come to the world, but he would also come to his own people, the people of Israel, and they would not have him. They wouldn't have him, and they didn't. The world wouldn't have him. His own people wouldn't have him. They wanted a different kind of Messiah. They wanted a king, someone who's going to come in and just destroy the Romans. People want that kind of leadership today too, don't they? Okay, that was a bit of levity there, but, well, they do. But that wasn't the Messiah that they were given And so they rejected him. So the gospel has been, you know, and I I have to suggest to you, I don't think much has changed to this day, has it? Right? The gospel has been preached, proclaimed, not to the whole world, but virtually we're almost there to the whole world for decades and centuries maybe now. The true Christmas story is being retold faithfully by churches every year, every year, every year, right now. And yet, and yet, some will not receive. Some will not believe him. But then John says, in verse 12 and 13, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to, this word is really important, become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the father, nor of the will of man, but of God. So he says, but to those who do receive him, right now, today, Those who do receive him, to those people who believe in his name, who believe in Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, the life, and the only way back to the Father, as Jesus himself declared. To those people, John is saying, he, Jesus, will give them the right to, this word is so important, become. I know everybody in the world and some Christians believe the idea is that, well, we're all children of God. Actually, this text and others are saying, no, no. We're far from God. If we're not in Christ, if we have not received Christ as our personal Savior, He's not our Father God yet. (laughs) Somebody else is, like ourselves, or somebody worse than ourselves. And so the truth is, the beautiful truth is, that all of us can experience this at Christmas. As a result of the father sending his son to save us, we are now children of God and fully part, therefore, of the family of God today and forever. I love my family. I'm sure you love your family too, or I hope so. This is the family of God. This is something else that we're being brought into. So look at also the words. We're born again, not of earthly bloodline, but as I like to say, blood-bought by the will of God. What blood? The shed blood of Jesus Christ. Shed blood of Jesus Christ. And then we get to the seminal verse <laughs> that tells us exactly who this word is. John 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so John ties it together for all of us, identifying this word as the one who became flesh, God in flesh, the God-man. What an amazing thing that God did. God with us. I love Eugene Peterson. He wrote a, a paraphrase of the Bible called The Message, and his, his writing of John 14, uh, 14 is this, and the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Okay, I quite like that. Because that's, that's the reality, God and his mercy and grace, the powerful God that created all these things. He wanted to be with us. From the beginning, by the way. This is so beautiful. And then we conclude with the verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. In simple terms, this this verse basically means that Jesus is the explanation, the revelation of God the Father. He spent his whole life pointing us to the Father, to his Father. The greatness of Christ's love explains the greatness of the Father's love, and the greatness of Christ's grace explains his. So finally for us this morning, I believe the most significant way that we see the heart of the Father at the very first Christmas is in his expression of love. We all know John's famous saying in one of his letters, God is love. Everybody loves that because it's true. He, that's one aspect of his character, but it's, it's the most beautiful. It's also the most powerful. It's also the most meaningful right now. God is love. And, and the thing about his love, look, you and I know this. I, I know this, like, you know, there's many times when I've said to my wife and I'm sure your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse or whatever said, I love you. I love you. I love you. Hey kids, I love you too, right? We can say, I love you. I love you. I love you but there's always a point in time, I don't know if you've ever experienced it, where some of us are going, yeah, well, would you just show it to me sometime? Just saying it is one thing. Action is really important. And our God doesn't just say that. He just doesn't express himself as love. He puts it into action. He initiates, right? He sends, and he gives, and he gives. You all know the verse I'm going to quote, don't you? To close us this morning, also in John's Gospel, chapter three, verse sixteen, for God so what loved the cosmos—that's the Greek word, the whole world. What did He do about it? Well, He gave His only Son. I, I, I have three boys. I would find that a challenge. He gave his only, and the venerable old King James says, begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's love in action. Amen? The next verse is also really important. It says this, For God the Father did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order the world might be saved through him the most extravagant love in action is our gracious Heavenly Father. So the heart of, our, of God the Father at Christmas, at every Christmas, at every day is that everyone be saved and spend eternity with him as part of his eternal family. So Christmas, Christmas is obviously the perfect time to remember that, right? And to rejoice in that once again, but I'll tell you what, it's also an incredibly important time or a good time to receive it and believe it and make this your first Christmas with Jesus Christ. You may want to pray to that end this morning. Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you, we thank you so much uh, for, yeah, who you are, Oh, my Lord, God, you are, um, thank you for being our Abba Father. I pray this morning, Lord, I pray that every one of us here, every one of us watching, listening, we would know you as our Heavenly Father today. And in knowing you as our Heavenly Father, we would know, receive, and believe your Son Jesus Christ as our personal Savior today. Holy Spirit, we pray that we would know you as well, and that you would come and reside in each one of us today and make that a reality in our lives. I pray that over everyone here present this morning, everyone watching, listening. I pray it for myself ongoing, because we know that salvation is, is not just a one-time event. It's our whole lives, that you're, you're sanctifying us and growing us, and, giving us power over sin in our lives and over this world, in this world. So I pray that for us today. Lord, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for all of the symbols and the things that we love and we enjoy. And yeah, why do we give each other gifts? Well, because you are the gift giver. And we want to show our love for others by giving them an act of our love, which is just a gift. What you gave was far more than that. Lord, I pray for your blessings over us this morning, and I pray, especially as we go to communion this morning, that you would be with us as we partake in the elements once again as a church. I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen.